we smile to think of Jesus gathering children. Uh, he spoke those words, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. What a beautiful thought it is to see Jesus with children gathered around his knees. Childhood is an important time to learn. We all know that. That is why our schools capitalize on being organized to receive children and to teach them the basics of education. But as Jesus related to children, he not only was sharing with them information and attitude and character that they needed to learn, but he also was sharing with the disciples, those followers of his, at the very same time. This series of sermons entitled Teach Me Jesus is on the one hand, it has been on the one hand, about catechesis, about learning, about the sharing of information for the purpose of confirmation and baptism for curriculum instruction. We say to the church, teach me about Jesus, teach me Jesus. But there's another part of this and that is that there is a responsibility on our part to pray that as our prayer directly to Jesus. Have you been repeating this in your prayer life? Teach me, Jesus. Teach me what I am to do, what I am to say, how I am to think, how I am to live. Teach me, Jesus. Do you remember that passage in the Gospel of John where Philip says to Jesus, Show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus responds to Philip by saying, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What a powerful thought. Jesus is saying, If you want to see God, then look for God in me. Uh, the loss of the church is to think that somehow God is present in Jesus as some kind of doctrinal formula. And I am not saying that that is not important. But the beauty here of what Jesus was suggesting is that God is like he was living. The way in which he was showing himself to the disciples and to the followers in every example of good deed and discipleship they were able if they could open their eyes to see and open their spirits to see they would be able to see God at work in the midst of Jesus the way in which Jesus taught was to be this quintessential theological educator but he was not a prophet, uh, a, a, uh, a 
philosopher, he was not a professor, and the means by which he taught were absolutely fascinating. He was far more interested in communicating formation than he was information. Jesus was always engaging people in ways that they could not get loose of easily. The goal was not self-contained. Learn this. You will be tested on it on such and such a week. Jesus was not functioning in that way. But he was constantly sharing and doing in such a way as to help people to realize that none of this works unless in some way you are responding and your life is becoming a part of what I am doing and I am becoming a part of what you are doing. You remember Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee. And he did not simply say to John and his brother and Peter and Andrew, he didn't say to them, simply come and follow me. He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will help you put your life in different order while you may be very accomplished in a boat out on the Sea of Galilee, I will help you to see the world from a perspective that will allow you to reshape others' lives. Jesus modeled sacred living. He was transparent in every way. He did not seek to keep secrets, especially not from those who were closest to him. He was vulnerable. He allowed people to be near him, and he allowed himself to be near people. People saw him when he was hungry. People saw him when he was tired. People saw him when he was distressed. People saw him when he was suffering. And all of this was for the purpose of teaching about who God is when God is truly present in the world. There was this dialogical approach that Jesus did not cross anyone off his list, but saw the opportunity to engage not only in conversation, but again, welcoming persons into relationship with him. It was always cross-cultural. Even when there was a corrosive ethic within the culture, Jesus handled religious animosity with such grace. He spoke his parables, 
not so that people could just memorize the laws but so that they could see the law from a different perspective you know what that does to people don't you when you finally get it when you realize oh so that's what the law is about not what I thought it was about but what Jesus is saying that it is about through a parable that simply will not let you go and Jesus is not above rebuking we heard that recently in the conversation that he had with his disciples you remember who do people say that I am and then who do you say I am and when Peter got it so right and yet then later did not want to acknowledge who Jesus was as Messiah that he would go to Jerusalem and suffer and even die Jesus was not so bashful as to not put Peter in his place in fact Jesus was never bashful he spoke truth even when the world did not want to hear truth and Jesus not only talked through formation and sharing and the modeling and dialogue and parables and rebukes and corrections but perhaps most of all he taught people through community living truly living with his disciples and going where people were and allowing them to be a part of his ministry not in some exclusive way living in community I admit to you can be very difficult have you ever heard of shunning it is a long-standing practice among the Amish and I don't want to just pick on them but they have perfected the art of isolating those who do not fit into the established rule of life and they will exclude them from fellowship with the brethren we may think this practice is odd and out of step particularly with modern life and look on it with disdain because it is so akin to the history of excommunication within the church proper the Roman Catholic Church and also the ways and means of of other churches that see this as being a fulfillment of what God would have we may think this an odd practice and yet have you experienced something like it have you ever unfriended someone better yet have you ever been unfriended by someone if you do that 
part right, you can do it in such a way as the person will not know they have been unfriended. You see, that's the proper way to be done with people. The question is, though, how is it that you and I handle people that offend us? Oh, I know it can get ugly. Sort of this playground politics. And on any given day, even in the church playground with the preschool out there engaged, you can hear some mighty strong language going on between who's best friends with who. I've seen this stuff at work. Not only on church playgrounds, but I've seen it in more severe ways in the lives of adults who consider themselves to be good, outstanding Christians, ambassadors of the faith. In one of the first churches that we ever served, I remember the occasion that it came up in our church council meeting that maybe it was time for us to have stained glass windows. I thought the church was in perfect order. The windows were a little old, but that beautiful little structure stood in this wonderful stand of of pine trees and you could look right out onto the church lawn and see these beautiful tall pines rising as they gave their praise to God I was hoping that this was a matter that would die in committee and it just about did it just about did Except for the fact that there was one family in the church that was so committed in their mind to think that God would want it this way. That I received a call from someone that told me, Preacher, you might want to get up to the church and see what's going on. And I found the man of that family, who had not called me, of course, but who had a sledgehammer and was knocking the windows out of the church. I stood there dumbfounded as he told me. He said, oh, preacher, our family is going to take care of the cost of putting in stained glass windows, which in his mind was stained glass but in reality was colored plexiglass. Now, I have spoken this story before, and I've told you, that nearly stole my joy. That was a difficult situation. But how many times have we witnessed this? And what is even the history of Pittman Park or any other church in this community, for that matter. How is it that you deal with people that have such a mind 
to want their way and to see it as God's plan. Matthew is concerned in his writing of this. He's concerned for ecclesia, for the gathering that we call church. Back in Matthew's day, a big gathering would have been 40 or 50 people. This gathering of persons that were called to be the followers of Jesus in the world were remembering as best they could through those who had been there and had known Jesus to tell them the stories of the things, the very things that he said. And in this case, Matthew was writing down what Jesus had said. And as Matthew remembered Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he remembered this is a four-step method for dealing with conflict within the ecclesia. And Jesus said this, he said, if another member of the church sins against you, which I might add, is bound to happen, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, You've regained that one. Step one. Step two. But if you are not listened to, <laughs> take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You're still counseling but others are there to hear what has gone on in that sharing. Step three. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to even listen to the church... And let's stop there for just a moment because I, I believe, I believe that there is room for dialogue in the church. In fact, there is, is room for severe sharing in the church. In fact, if that is not going on, then we've already written each other off and the attitudes that other people have are not allowed to be even discussed. Is that the way of Christ? To write someone off in that way. I'm not saying that we have to attack each other. But there is... A responsibility that we have to be honest with each other and to share what is on our hearts and our minds in the way that we understand Christ and his kingdom here on earth. I have just read a little book by C.G. Hagabuk, who is a retired United Methodist pastor 
in the South Georgia Conference. Um, it's a self-published book. He entitled it, Call Me Ishmael. And in it, he refers to the importance of cross-talk, not cross-fire. Now, C.G., you would be interested to know that C.G., C.G. lives in Plains, Georgia. In fact, he's only two blocks away from where our president lives. Of course, in Plains, you're only two blocks away from anything in Plains. But the, the, the idea of that is fascinating to me that he lives so close in proximity to where our president and the former first lady are living. C.G. believes that we do ourselves an injustice when we do not allow for crosstalk within the church, giving room for the fact that maybe God has revealed things differently to someone else besides you. <laughs> we should never enter into conversation as if we have a corner on all truth. It shuts down conversation rather than builds it. There is a place to be honest and share concern and thoughts. And in fact, this is a level far above what might be considered to be a part of Deuteronomic or Levitical law and Jesus knew this, that this is not just a setting up of witnesses in order that somehow this might be brought to court and settled because witnesses have heard. No, this was something far more than that that Jesus was encouraging. This involved patience and it involved kindness in ways that the world had not fully embraced. And yet everyone knows, I mean we know, however that there, there comes a point, <laughs> come on, just be real, there comes a point where you and I give up. It's only human to give up. Ah, but wait, <laughs> that reminds me of Jesus' fourth step. Stay with me here. His fourth step, and I began it just a few moments ago. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Boy, that's putting them in their place. Jesus is going to solve this thing. The Amish, they've been reading their Bible. <laughs> they know this stuff. But it comes to me <laughs> that a primary, a primary factor is how Jesus treated Gentiles and 
tax collectors. Can you tell me how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors? Speak to me through your mask. He loved them, right? Can you think of a single Gentile or tax collector that he excommunicated or that he shunned? There is no evidence in all of Scripture that this was a part of the way in which Jesus engaged community. You remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you remember the story of the Syrophoenician woman in the city of Tyre? Do you remember the story, by the way, of two tax collectors that came out pretty good on this? Matthew, who is writing the story, and you remember the story of Zacchaeus, whose life was turned upside down by welcoming Jesus into his home for a meal. You and I need to be very careful about our presumptions of what the Bible is saying. Oh, we live in a culture that wants to believe they've got a corner on the truth. And here in my mind, the official church stance on this passage may not be in accord with what Jesus was intending to say. You can talk to the bishop about this sermon, okay? But I believe it to the depths of who I am. This instruction from Jesus is preceded by that parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray. Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one, the one who is lost? Does that sound like shunning to you? And this is followed, these words of instruction to the church about how to handle church conflict. It is followed with the words in conversation with Peter when Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, it's almost as if Peter had not gotten it. But then that is the pattern of Peter's life, right? If another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And you know the answer to this, don't you? What was Jesus' response? Huh. Why don't we try 77 times? Or in some translations, seven times 70. That's 490 times. I think it comes down to the real question if we want to deal honestly with this scripture today what kind of community do we want to be I mean I'm, I'm talking about specifics here I'm not talking about the church in general I'm talking about the ecclesia that calls itself Pittman Park United Methodist Church what kind 
of community do we want to be? Jesus had many opportunities to shun disciples and followers and yet did not do that. When we pray, as we did just a few moments ago, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying? If it doesn't mean a different way of looking at the world, even at people that get under our skin. Before we write someone off, remember that Jesus is building merciful, inclusive community. Why? You'll have to ask Jesus that. In fact, you might use these words. Teach me, Jesus. <laughs> Teach me. Jesus, God bless him. <laughs> Jesus even forgave his executioners. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They do not know what they're doing. Don't hold this against them. They do not know what they are doing. I am fully convinced that if Judas had not taken matters into his own hands, that somehow Jesus would have found a way to wrap his arms around him and draw him back in. I tell you that peace is in the blueprint of how church should be done. Francesco Bernadoni was born in Italy and as he grew up his father had this idea that he would become a part of the family business. Now as a young man he went off on his own adventures and one was a military journey and while he was out and serving in the military he contracted some terrible disease. Who knows what pandemic, pandemic was afoot during the 13th century. Francesco barely was able to make it home. And when he made it home and then was resuscitated to live once again, his father said, good, you can help me now. And he set him up in the tower where he was housing all of these very fine fabrics and clothes that his father was making a killing off of in the market. But something had happened in Francesco's life that caused him to think another way. He couldn't look at the world because of this change that had happened to him. One day it came upon him that he would divest himself of anything that looked like wealth. And he threw 
these bolts of cloth and these clothing out the window and onto the streets for any who were there to gather up. Oh, you can imagine how angry Francesco's father was. His father was so upset that he went to the priest in town and asked that the priest get Francesco there. And when Francesco came to meet the priest and his father began to bark orders at Francesco, Francesco realized that he would have to divest himself of his father, at least at that point, for a time. And he said, Father, I thank you, but everything that you have provided for me, as he unbuttoned his robe and stood naked in the marketplace, <laughs> handing it back, he said, anything that is yours that I have, I return to you. The priest, of course, grabbed his cloak real quickly and wrapped it around Francesco and ushered him off knowing that something very religious was happening in this young boy who began to have such mission for the poor and such a heart for peace and who gave his life so completely not to what he wanted or what his father wanted but what God might want. Maybe you know him. Most people call him St. Francis of Assisi. And the very prayer that he is most known for, I'd like you to repeat this with me, if you would, as we have the opportunity. Let's say this together. Lord, Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. As we come to the close of this worship together, I want to thank all of you for being patient with me, your, your pastor who gets off on some tangents and says some things that you may have questions about, but I'll discuss it with you. Not crossfire, but crosstalk. Um, and I welcome the opportunity. Our theme for these five weeks now past has been this prayer teach me Jesus and I want to thank Lisa for sharing so much each week of this in song 
And as we close this time together, I'm not going to pray a prayer of benediction. But I want you to stand and to receive once more these precious words in this song as our benediction together before God. Would you stand with me?